We're doing a series on the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is really split up into two parts. The first three chapters are the theory. And the second three, three chapters are the application. But at the end of the third chapter, Paul prays a prayer. And I'm not sure whether the prayer is a conclusion to the first part or an introduction to the second part, but this prayer is incredibly powerful. And if you can grasp this, if you can get this, it will make a massive difference to your life. So in this prayer, Paul prays for five things. And we're going to go through each of these five things. So in verse 16, he prays that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Now, often when we pray, we're praying for physical things, aren't we? We're praying for food and strength and health and employment and all those sort of things. But in this prayer, Paul is praying for our inner person. He's praying for a good conscience, a sound mind, a loving heart. You know, our outer person will one day die and go into a grave, but our inner person will live on into the next life. There's people that appear to have everything all together, but on the inside they're falling apart. There's others who seem physically frail, but they're full of spiritual strength on the inside. And so Paul is aware that his readers need strength because they're facing future persecution and imprisonment. And we can look at ourselves. We may have possessions, power, and position, but are we weak, immature children on the inside? And so God can't fill us until we're open to receive his glorious riches. Just like oil and water don't mix, neither does the Holy Spirit mix with our worldly carnal nature. Only one spirit can be in control at any time. It can either be the Holy Spirit or it can be our own carnal nature that is advocating for itself. We may not steal or murder, but there may be negative attitudes in our lives, such as envy, resentment, and gossip. And these can be like a poison in our system that will slowly sap away our strength and our joy. On the news last week, I saw a little boy in Western Australia, who had been bitten by a Western brown snake, one of the most venomous snakes in the world. And he had sort of walked home. They're taught to do a sort of a shuffle so that the blood doesn't circulate through your body and, and get to the vital organs that will kill you. So he gets home, and he sees his mum, and he says, does a boy that's Brit that's bitten by a venomous snake, <clears throat> go to heaven. And his mother said, yes. And then he collapsed. 
And his mother kept his heart going, called the ambulance, the helicopter, came, took him off to hospital, and they saved his life. He gets home from the hospital, and a week later, he gets bitten by another western brown venomous snake on his way home from school. He gets home, and he looks at his mum, and he says, I think I'm going... I think I'm going to live this time because last time we prayed and God answered our prayer. And you know, they found that the venom, um, the anti-venom that was in his blood was enough to protect him from the second snake bite. And he survived two brown snake bites. Now that anti-venom is like the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's like the love of God in our lives. And we can be bitten by difficult circumstances, but we can tap into God's love. We can tap into the power of God, and he will save us. He will carry us through these situations. And poison can take the space in our heart that the Lord wants to occupy. His Holy Spirit has unlimited wisdom unlimited power and will enable us to triumph through the circumstances of life. But God never forces himself upon us. He desires that we ask and invite him into our lives to help us. So the second prayer of Paul, or the second thing that Paul prays for, is in verse 17, and he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Is Jesus alive and living in your heart? We don't feel at home if there are things in the house that we're uncomfortable with. We had friends in Brunei who saw a snake in their laundry. And um, when they, went, they came, went back into the room, it wasn't there, and they weren't sure whether it had gone, and so they got some locals to check and here it was, underneath, it had climbed up in their washing machine. Now, if you knew that you had a venomous snake in your house, you wouldn't be comfortable, would you? And sometimes we can invite things into our lives that will harm us and dis possibly destroy us. And so God wants us to remove them. And is Jesus at home in your heart? Because to be there, he requires a humble, gentle, teachable spirit. The third thing that Paul prays for is also in verse 17, that your roots would go down deeply into God's marvelous love. And there's a point I'm going to make here, and if you can grasp this point this morning, I think this is a key to certain aspects of life. Many of you have heard of Derek Prince, who was a, a great Bible teacher. And there was a time when he became very troubled about his own beliefs and his ministry. He questioned whether it was right to use healing to draw people to his meetings when he knew that many of those people weren't going to get healed. He believed that healing is provided in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus on the cross, 
Yet his wife had continuing battles with illness. And Derek also had times when he was unwell. And then he realized that the most important thing was to get people right with God and free from sin. And so he asked the Lord, what is the secret to living in divine health? Living in health. And he believed the Lord replied, let the love of God flow into you, flow over you, and through you. That is the source of permanent healing and health. He observed that people who radiated God's love generally lived full and healthy lives. Living in perfect love drives out every stronghold of fear, anxiety, bitterness, and breaks the diseases of the mind, heart, and body. It is the love of God that heals us, bathes us, washes us, cleanses us, restores us, builds us up, and makes us whole. The degree to which we experience God and the success we achieve as believers depends on the degree to which we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us, illuminate, and move us. When we worship God, we open the floodgates of God's love and might towards us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 16, it says, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You know, when uh, I was a, a young boy, my dad used to support a British missionary in Vietnam, Dr. Stuart Harvison. And one day, Stuart Harvison came to New Zealand and, and he stayed with us. And it was as though God was in our house. This guy just re radiated the love of God. He had a glow about him. It was an amazing thing. And God saved his life in all sorts of situations. One day there was a medical emergency and he hopped in a U.S. Army jeep to get to the person in need. And a woman in one of the villages saw a communist guerrilla who had him in his sights when he was in that jeep. And she ran over to that guy and she said, don't shoot him, he's our doctor. And he had numerous occasions where God delivered him from death. And through all that, this guy radiated the love of God. In a tangible way, you could see it, you could feel it. There was something about that man that impacted every single person that was around him. And so if we focus on the goodness of God, rather than those negative attitudes that seek to dominate us, we can be victorious in life. S.I. McMillan wrote a book called None of These Diseases. And in this book, he claimed that 80% of ill health was the result of stress. Stress that caused bitterness, or came from bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. And so just as a tree draws up nutrients and moisture from the soil, we receive nourishment from God's love. And so we're to allow God's love to shape us. 
rather than those negative influences around us. In Romans 5 verse 5, it says, Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God wants to pour his love into our hearts. Love is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And so we receive the love of God by allowing the Holy Spirit to walk in fellowship with each of us. You may ask the question, well, why should God love me? Our oldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was born, she had very severe colic. She couldn't bring up her wind and was incredible, in incredible pain. And Helen and I would walk around the house, up and down the passageway, patting her on the back, trying to get the wind up because we knew that she was in a lot of pain. And because we loved her, we knew that she was hurting. She wasn't crying because she was a naughty girl. She was in pain, and we loved her, and we wanted to support her and help her through that difficulty. We'd sing nursery rhymes and scripture choruses just trying to settle her down. It was my fatherly duty. I pitied her because I knew how painful it was. And God's love towards us is just like that. It's neither earned nor deserved. It cannot be repaid. The love of God is simply accepted by faith with gratitude to God in our hearts. You know, many people think that love is, is the approval that comes when they run faster, jump higher, work harder, or perform better. We've been taught to obey God and that if we disobey God, we'll be punished. We've grown up feeling unloved, unwanted, and are hurting and bleeding inside. We don't share our inner hurts and feelings with people because we're afraid of being judged and rejected. Only the unconditional, limitless, limitless love of God can satisfy this longing and pain that we have. The fourth thing that Paul prays for is that you may be enlarged. Verse 18, that you may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and know this love that goes beyond knowledge. Paul describes a love that's total. It reaches every corner of our being. It's wide enough to cover the breadth of our experience. It reaches out to the entire world. God's love is, is long. It continues for the rest of our lives, the length of our lives. It's high. It rises to the heights of our celebration and delight. His love is also deep. It reaches down to the depths of our discouragement, despair, and even death. You know, when the Titanic sank, all its treasure went under the sea so deep that divers were unable to recover it. Yet human lives caught up in hopeless situations are not too far down for the love of God to, to come down and be with us. Jesus descended into hell in 
Psalm 139, verse 8, it says, If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. Even when we go off the rails, and we, even when we do the most horrific things, God is there. And if we call on his name, he will rescue us and help us and be there for us. As we are grounded in God's love, we begin to understand the hugeness of our God and of his love. God is infinitely pure, infinitely accepting, patient, kind, generous, and loving. Everything that God is, is found inside of his love, because God is love. The death of Christ on the cross is the ultimate expression of his love. Jesus could have sent a thousand angels to force us to live the right way. He could have taken away our right to choose and made us like robots. He could have responded in righteous anger to our rebellion and just wiped us all out. But love was and is God's response to a broken, rebellious world. Jesus became one of us. He embraced our weaknesses and subjected himself to our temptations. He grew up in a little village in Israel. He told stories to illustrate the highest way of love. But the people despised him and they rejected him. Those in power found him too threatening and determined that they were going to kill him. As they nailed him to that cross, he didn't threaten revenge, but he spoke love. In Luke 23, verse 34, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in John 3, 16, for God loved this world. He loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What an incredible promise that is. And then in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were rebelling against him, Christ died for us. And then in 1 John 4.19, it says, we love him, because he first loved us. Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, I want to love God more, but I just can't do it. It's just, how do I work up more love for God? We love him because he first loved us. If we can really understand what he went through on that cross for our sake, when we can understand what he went through, how he suffered, then we cannot help but love him in return. And so I would ask, where are you at this morning? Do you know the love of God which surpasses knowledge? Are you willing to make that love a key priority in your life? Jesus extended his arms on the cross in an invitation that says, this is how much I love you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love is the most powerful and effective 
agent of change in the world. The failure of love has brought suffering throughout this world. Ultimately, love through Christ is the only real answer to this world's problems. True worship is love, joy, and intimacy in the presence of our holy God. Being excited and ecstatic about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our friend. To walk in love is to believe that we are loved by God and to respond to his love toward us. George Matheson was 15 when he was told that he was going blind. At age 19, while studying theology at Glasgow University, he became fully blind. His fiance broke off their engagement because of his blindness, and he was shattered. He remained unmarried and became a much-loved pastor in Scotland. He focused on how God's love for him was never limited, conditional, or withdrawn. This led to him writing a well-known hymn that has ministered to many, many people over the years. And verse 1 of his hymn says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Is that the way you feel about the love of God? It is a love that will not let you go. A love that causes you to give your life to it. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I invite you to allow that love to come into your life, to bring transformation to you. You may be a Christian, but have been resisting his love. You've been wandering away from God. But you can be assured that God still really does love you. And he invites you to return to him. So you can allow God's love to have its transforming effect in your life. And the fifth thing that Paul prays for is in verse